Hello, I'm James Jacobson in Hawaii. And I'm Pamela Lawrence in San Francisco. And I'm Caroline Winter in Adelaide. Welcome to Dog Edition, the first show designed for you to listen to while you walk your dogs. Coming up, did you know that Maremma guardian dogs, which traditionally protect livestock like sheep and goats, actually have a very special job protecting little penguins and another endangered native animal here in Australia. I'm going to have that story very soon. And with the 4th of July coming up, there will be thousands of anxious dogs and owners across the country ahead of the fireworks displays. We'll have some tips and tricks to help get everyone through it. And later we'll stop by the hydrant as always and take a look at some of the doggy headlines we spotted this week. So if you love dogs as much as we do, pause what you're doing, leash up your pup, and let's take a walk. We've got a lot to talk about on today's episode of Dog Edition. Hey Pepper, want to go for a walk? So Pam, you're here, which means that uh, things must have gone okay. <laughs> How? What happened with your doggy dilemma from last week? Dun, 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 doggy dilemma. Oh, my doggy dilemma. So if you recall last week, I was uh, complaining about a neighbor who leaves their dog out and uh, it's not very safe and the dog is uncomfortable. So you guys advised that I should ring the doorbell. Well, I thought about doing that and I asked a lot of other people and then I sat down and I started drafting a note, a very pointed note, and I was all set to deliver it, but I... I chookened out. You chookened out. I chookened out, yes. Are you picking up some Australianisms? I think so. I, I think as you, <laughs> you will hear in this next segment some words that I wasn't familiar with the first time I heard it. So you really want to listen, including the word chook. And Pam, we are going to have to find out what's going to happen with these people. Because as you said, it wasn't just like it was uncomfortable for the dog. The dog could literally be in jeopardy, right? Because there are these wild animals in your neighborhood. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The mountain lions are prowling. They're on the prowl. Okay. So maybe you have to uh, get some fortitude and and do something because (laughs) we're all on uh, pins and needles to find out what's going to happen with this dog in your neighbor's backyard. I'll keep you posted. (laughs) Well, just know you've got Jim and I just, you know, supporting you 100%, Chook. (laughs) (laughs) I'm I'm definitely going to be using that every day now in my my speech. I love it. I love it. Yes, yes. Uh, Well, it's definitely not the most obvious of relationships, but the bond that exists between Maremma guardian dogs and little penguins on a small island off the coast of Australia is a very special one. The large white sheepdogs were first trained to protect the penguins some years ago, and this is the first time in the world this has been done. Two of the dogs have been credited with saving the endangered colony, bringing it back from the brink. But as one of the original guardians heads over the Rainbow Bridge, passing on the baton to some younger pups, there is an ambitious plan to use maremmas in other conservation efforts, including protect a threatened nocturnal marsupial native to Australia. Caroline has the story. It's an idyllic setting for a day at the office. Rolling green pastures set against a backdrop of soaring mountains as sheep and goats graze and mill about. And it's on farms like these across parts of central and southern Italy where the Maramano Abruzzisi sheepdogs have spent centuries guarding their flocks. While native to Italy, these dogs of the shepherds have travelled far and wide to work as loyal guardians in countries around the world. 
So they are used most often here in Australia, which is just something that came about historically, I suppose. They were one of the first breeds that were imported into the country. Linda van Bommel is a livestock guardian dog expert from the University of Tasmania in Australia. A couple of breeders uh, really promoted the dogs, started placing them on farms, and, well, it took off from there. And that's the reason why, oh, I think 90, 95% of the actual working livestock guardian dogs here in Australia, they're the Marama sheepdogs. Marema sheepdogs are just one of a number of breeds of livestock guardian dogs. Standing as tall as 70 centimetres or 27 inches and weighing in at up to 45 kilograms or 100 pounds, they're not to be messed with. And their job is to watch for intruders within the flock they're there to guard, like a giant fluffy white nanny. One of the, the main features is they're extremely independent because over a very long time in their countries of origin, they've been bred to just be with the livestock and make their own decisions. So they, they had to be able to decide for themselves whether something was a threat or not. And then they'd had to go out and deal with it independent of any human guidance, really. It's their independent, calm and non-threatening manner that makes them perfect to bond with those they protect. They grow up with the type of livestock you want them to work with when they're mature. And in the process of maturing, they learn to associate with that livestock. They learn to see that livestock as their social companions. And, well, they basically become their friends. And, of course, when that dog becomes mature, they'll protect their friends from threats. It's, it's a little bit more complicated than that, but that's it in a nutshell, really, the underlying principle. Okay. Traditionally, maremas have been used to protect sheep and goats against wolves, foxes and other predators. But in Australia, they've been trained to look after some more unusual creatures. Come on. The Middle Island Project began in 2006, actually. So Middle Island is a very small island. It's only about four hectares and it's only about 100 metres off the coast in Warrnambool, which is a small town in regional Victoria in Australia. That's Trish Corbett. She's the Middle Island Project Coordinator that leads what was a world-first program back then involving Marema dogs. What was happening is we've got a colony of little penguins there and unfortunately, night after night, foxes, which are an introduced species to Australia, were going over to the island and finding they could make an easy meal of the penguins. The local council tried to stop the attacks, but without any luck. That was until a chicken farmer suggested using his Marema dog, Oddball, to protect the penguins, much like he'd been using her to protect his chooks. Oddball was the first, and she was just a short, less than four-week trial. There were a couple of adult dogs after her, but the very first dogs that were trained to protect the island as pups are Yudi and Chula. So Yudi and Chula um, have done most of the work for the last 10 years. And um, we've now got, in the last two years, we've got three more guardians to take over from Yudi and Chula. And their names are Metso, Isola and Oberon. So in total, there's been five that have been trained from pups. And so this unorthodox idea, which was made into a feature-length film called Oddball, also became the saviour for these little penguins. I 100% think there wouldn't be a colony without Yudi and Chula. The Maremas have been integral to keep this colony continuing. So we, when the project first began, 
there were only four penguins left on Middle Island. And so over the course of 10 years, that colony started to increase up over 200. And we've actually never had a fox on the island while the Maremmas have been there. So we know that they do keep the foxes away. From as young as eight to ten weeks old, the Maremma pups spend time on the island learning about the penguins and establishing a bond to their territory and everything in it. Then as they mature, the dogs watch over the penguins from a boardwalk, while their little mates stay mostly burrowed underground. Anything that comes into that territory that's not supposed to be there, they will aggressively defend. So the initial thing is this deep bark, and usually that is enough. Also having their scent around generally keeps things away, but if not, they will chase. So if they really have to, they'll do what they have to to get rid of that threat. So luckily for us, we actually see when the dogs are on the island, you can sometimes see fox prints going right up to the edge of the water and they turn back around. So they know that the dogs are there and they stay away. But recently, the Middle Island family lost a very important member. Judy was very special to all of us and she, she was very special to me. She was, in fact, going to retire to my house. So, um, yeah, we had a very beautiful bond and uh, she's very missed. At 12, Judy succumbed to bone cancer, though she was surrounded by love in her final days. A private and public memorial will be held for her with her ashes to be spread on the island. I'll just remember Judy as my beautiful girl who's just such a happy, happy dog. And she just, when she went back to her island, she just had this incredible beaming smile. And I'll just always remember that and the excitement to get back to doing her job. Yudi's lasting gift is passing the baton to the three younger pups, who are the next generation of penguin protectors. Yeah, definitely Yudi and Chula's legacy is going to live on. But it's not just the legacy of these dogs on Middle Island saving endangered species. In another part of regional Victoria, Maremmas are being trialled to guard a tiny nocturnal marsupial called the Eastern Barred Bandicoot. Here's livestock guardian dog expert Linda Van Bommel again. The Eastern Bad Bandicoot is actually considered extinct on the mainland Australia. They still exist in captivity and we've got some populations within predator-proof enclosures. But as far as we know, they don't occur by themselves in the wild anymore. The Eastern Bard Bandicoot is about the size of a rabbit. It's brownish in colour with large ears and a long snout and a tail. And they're preyed upon by foxes and feral cats. Trainers have bonded the Maremmas with a small flock of sheep and the bandicoots, the sheep to keep them focused during the day and the nocturnal bandicoots to keep them busy at night. Well, the Maremmas have actually learned, that was specifically part of their training, that if they smell or see a bandicoot, they just turn away and they go do something else. Um, they, they still get taken through tests with that on a regular basis to make sure that their training is still holding. Um, it is. So even out on the site, at the one site that we have bandicoots, if the Maremmas come across a trail of a bandicoot or a bandicoot hiding somewhere, you'll still see that response of, oh, I noticed it. Oh, no, I'm going to turn away now. So that's, that's pretty good. That training, that works really, really well. Um, the bandicoots themselves, as far as I know, if a Maremma comes along, they just, well, they're hidden and they stay hidden. 
The dogs are the front line of a last-ditch effort to ensure a future for this species. And while the trials have yet another couple of years to run, researchers are excited about the possibilities. But of course you can imagine if it is successful, then we've got another option other than putting them into big predator-proof enclosures. If you can put them in an area with livestock guardian dogs as a bodyguard, that gets one step closer towards actually having them back in the wild again. The other thing that this could also mean is that maremmas could be used to guard all sorts of species, not just nocturnal native bandicoots or little penguins or sheep and goats, but all sorts of animals if, if you know, this works out. It's a wonderful application for this Italian dog. I think it's so cool and those little... Uh, Penguins, I'm going to call them penguins because you were learning all these Australian terms. That's why I love having you as part of our team here because we are expanding our horizons to learn about little penguins that live only in an island in Australia. Yeah. Right? yeah. Only. That's very cool. And we learn about things like chucks, chickens, <laughs> and uh, hectares. We have to teach everyone, including me, the metric system because we were poorly educated here in the United no, States. So I'm so no, grateful no. that we can actually, that you include metric and, you know, American measure. Well, I'm often coming across recipes that I really love and they're mostly American and I spend my entire time yeah. trying to convert all the measurements. <laughs> it's no wonder most of my cooking doesn't work out. <laughs> That's what you asked the woman in the tube how to do that. She's quite good at all that, <laughs> the stuff. You're a smart speaker. We'll be right back. You're listening to Dog Edition. And now, a message from your dog. Every day with you is like a day at the beach. And I want as many beach days as possible. I want to run and sniff and find a good stick to carry. I want to roll in the grass and warm my belly in the sun. I want to walk with you, run with you, sleep with you, eat with you. And when I eat with you, I want Everpup. The green, grassy, beef liver spiked smell wakes my senses. You may not realize this, but it tastes like homemade gravy, especially when you wet it. It infuses any food you give me with health and life and vibrancy. I can feel it. Everpup traveling to every cell in my body, nourishing each one. Does it roll back time? Of course not. Not really. But it helps me feel like I'm on top of the world. I'm so glad you're giving it to me every day. Because every day I'm so glad to be with you. I'm so grateful to be your dog. And for the ever pup you give me. So now that you know what your dog wants, get Everpup, the ultimate dog supplement. Everpup is available in select pet shops and on Amazon. But to get the best price possible, join the Everpup Club at everpupclub.com, where you'll get your first jar for just $8 with free shipping anywhere in the U.S. Go to everpupclub.com and use the discount code DPN. That is everpupclub.com. Everpup, every day. Welcome back to Dog Edition. Fireworks, a classic symbol of celebration recognized throughout the world, but especially here in the United States as we commemorate Independence Day on the 4th of July. But the loud whistles, bangs, and pops from the explosive pyrotechnics can be overwhelming for our dogs. 
In fact, the number of dogs that go missing is highest on occasions marked by fireworks. To understand what our dogs may experience this July 4th and for ideas on how to keep them calm, Pam talked to some folks with first-hand knowledge. Fourth of July traditions. In my house, that means waking everyone up early with a rousing trombone rendition of Stars and Stripes Forever. For others, like Christina Crowley, it's backyard barbecues, pool parties, and fireworks at the local park. Growing up, it was always, okay, whose house is going to have a party? Is it going to be Aunt Pat? Is it going to be at our house? Is it going to be, you know, at Uncle Marcus's? You know, it was that, it was a celebration with several nights of fireworks up on the hill. You know, it's at the parade on, you know, Saturday morning. You know, it's a, it's a big, long celebration. But, you know, those are my memories of a, of a wonderful Fourth of July. For dog owners like Mary Varner, it's a stressful time for her and her dog, Rascal. Rascal is afraid of the fireworks. We've been hearing this go off almost every night. It's gotten worse. I mean, when it went off two doors down, I went out, my neighbor went out, and then my son went out as well another time, like, what the heck? And my one dog is just panting, going crazy. I almost feel at times she's going to have a heart attack. We're starting to see at least some isolated fireworks already. And so, you know, we're getting some of those unexpected noises that are triggers for our patients. And so we really have to be thinking about this ahead of time. And we will be thinking about it for weeks afterward for the same reason. Dr. Christopher Pockel is a board-certified veterinary behaviorist and owner and lead clinician at the Animal Behavior Clinic in Portland, Oregon. He explains where noise phobia in dogs comes from. You know, we tend to think about fear-based behaviors coming from a couple of different places. In some cases, that may be insufficient socialization. And what we really mean there is just a lack of early life experience where those puppies and early adolescents are sort of learning what their world is likely to sound like and smell like and taste like. And they learn all of that stuff early on. And it's not only what they're learning, but also how that learning affects some of those developmental pathways within the brain that primes them to either be more likely to acclimate to new or different experiences or perhaps be more likely to sensitize to new experiences. What Mary's dog, Rascal, experiences around the 4th of July is not uncommon. A study out of Norway looked at the behavior around loud noises, including fireworks, of more than 5,000 dogs across 17 breeds. Turns out, slightly more than one out of five participants were considered a noise-sensitive, fearful dog. As of the recording date here, it's the end of June which means that for my patient population, we are rapidly careening toward July 4th, and we are in triage mode. Uh, We are at a time where prescriptions are being refilled, the sort of the the emails from last year recapping what worked and what didn't, they're all being reviewed. We're doing our rechecks for our primary noise phobic patients to try to get our game plan going for what the next couple of weeks are gonna look like. That's where we are. So how can we keep our anxious pups calm? Christina Crowley has been a pet owner and pet sitter for many years. She's host of the podcast Wag Woof Love, which chronicles her experiences and offers advice. 
go in the room, turn out the lights, turn on the radio, put a fan on. You know, now if your dog uh, is is scared, I would say, you know, that room. And if you're going to be gone all day, maybe have a pet sitter. So ideally, the goal is to avoid it, right? And whether that is providing access to an indoor sort of internal space, whether that's using heavier curtains to, to buffer some of the noises, whether it's using curtains to, to block out some of the visual stimuli, whether it's having white noise playing in the background, kind of masking the, the stimuli that might be triggering. Um, it may be a matter of reaching out to your veterinary team if you know you have an animal who experiences stress. Think proactively. Don't wait to put a plan in place, especially if you're unsure how your dog might react to fireworks. Uh, we're talking to you with that new pandemic puppy in the house. Let's assume that it could be scary. What are the things that I could do in advance of that? And that might even be things like, hey, maybe if I have some high-value tasty snacks on hand, that when we hear that little bang or that little pop in the background and the dog raises their sort of the eyebrow and the head from their resting place and they go, cool, I say hot dog and I toss a little yummy either way. I would rather have that dog thinking, yeah, that bang, that pop, that whistle, that was new and different, but it led to cheese or it led to a hot dog. And that's that's one of the basic sort of tenants of counter conditioning. There are plenty of products on the market that could help too. Thunder shirts, body wraps, mutt muffs, and happy hoodies. The thing to remember with that is that some of those can actually be aversive to the animal themselves. And so you wanna check that out ahead of time to make sure that it's actually something that is in fact comfortable and therapeutic for your animal before you lean on that as a tool in the moment where they're already starting to panic. Mary says the Thunder shirt offers Rascal some comfort, but with the constant fireworks every night, Mary turned to her veterinarian for more help. Yeah. It's these booms. It's the booms. Finally, we thought this we have to get medicine. And you have to almost give it to him a, quite a bit ahead of time. Don't give it to him like as soon as you think the fireworks will go off because it takes time. I, I do find that for many of my patients, they do benefit from having some additional support on board. And that's definitely something that should be under the guidance of a licensed veterinarian, knowing that some of the supplements as well as medications or even some of the things that are available over the counter may not be universally safe if there are underlying health concerns. So you definitely wanna check in with a veterinarian before you start given anything that, you know, that, that might or may not be helpful. And keep in mind too that when we're reaching for some of those supplements or pharmaceuticals, that's not a cop-out, it's not a failure. We are trying to reduce the animal's panic response in that moment so that we can help them in other ways. Now, I'm the first one to say just avoiding the triggers doesn't do anything to fix the problem that's there. I get that, I know that. And the place to fix panic is not in the midst of a panic attack. The American Kennel Club reports that more pets go missing during 4th of July weekend than any other time of the year. So make sure your dog is microchipped, your yard is fenced and secure, or you have your dog on a leash if he's joined you at that barbecue. Because of the fireworks, they startle them, they run. But for the 4th of July holiday, stay close to your dog, provide reassuring contact if they're scared. If you're with them, if you're, you know, staying home for the holiday or anytime some fireworks come off, 
Let's keep doing the things that make it better. Let's skip the things that make it worse. And let's see if we can put a little care package together for what July 4th looks like. But man, we're running, we're running bare bones in some of these clinics right now. And everybody's trying their best. We're all in it to help the animals. So as you reach out for help, please be kind. Kanga and Rue hate the 4th of July. It's one of my favorite holidays, but they really don't like it because of all the fireworks. It's scary. But we have figured out that if we close all the windows and blast doggy meditation music for the dogs, it kind of calms them down. And maybe they bark so many <laughs> times, but by the time we come home from our own 4th of July festivities, they're like... <gasps> I'm so glad you're here, and I feel very breezy with all this meditation music, Mommy and Daddy. How do your dogs handle the fireworks, <laughs> Well, Fudgy doesn't hear them because she is, you know, she has some hearing loss. And Pepper does not care. He, he could not be bought. He doesn't care. Yeah. What? Yeah. Really? An aloof one. That's cool. Caroline, what about you? You... Well, we haven't had fireworks. How do you celebrate the 4th of July? (laughs) (laughs) I'll be celebrating it this year. Um, We don't have fireworks that happen near our place sort of at any time of the year. Maybe maybe New Year's Eve, but in the distance. But I guess the equivalent might be lightning and thunder. And Harvey... As a puppy, he was he was nervous and scared, but he's grown out of it, which I'm quite surprised about. I just thought, you know, once a scaredy cat dog, always a scaredy cat dog. <laughs> a chicken. A chicken, uh-huh. exactly. <laughs> <laughs> we, are, we will never get over this chicken thing. <laughs> well, it's time to head over to the hydrant and catch up on some of the doggy headlines that have caught our attention this week. Pam, what caught your attention? Well, there's a new dog food company, and they got their product into a big box store. And as part of their marketing campaign, they've created bark boards, which are dog-sized, (laughs) dog-placed billboards, specifically targeted for dogs. And, um, yeah... No, Caroline's laughing. The bark boards, they're going to be scented with this non-toxic amino acid-based composition that encourages dogs to actually sniff and engage with these bark boards. Oh, <laughs> oh my, this, my God. Can I just say, this is pester power like I've never heard. So are these boards, they're, they're at the right height for noses? Yes. For dog yes. noses? That's this correct. This is fabulous. <laughs> Brilliant marketing. Brilliant. I love it. What have you seen, Kara? Well, I came across a story about a Samoy and it sparked my interest because I had a Samoy when I was a kid. Um, although now that I think about it, you know, these dogs that are obviously big and white and fluffy um, from Russia and Siberia probably didn't have a great time in Australia in the middle of summer. That said, um, there was this Samoy uh, that I came across, um, Acre. Um, a one-year-old, and had been wandering through the Arctic for more than a week from memory and was rescued by the crew of a Russian icebreaker ship when they came across it. And so the dog had gone for a walk and decided to run off from its village and it had been lost for obviously days. There is a video which um, we'll post in our show notes and it shows the dog wagging her tail and walking gingerly on the jagged ice before she was um, she was lowered a ladder by the crew and uh, brought onto the icebreaker and, and they found the owner and took her home. Oh. That is so sweet. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. Well, 
I've been touched in following, um, as many listeners on Dog Podcast Network have, the um, presidential dogs. And June 19th, Champ, who is the elder of uh, Joe Biden's dogs, uh, passed away. He was 13 years old, and we talked about him on the inaugural episode of Dog Edition. Yeah. Uh, we talked to him and the folks at the Delaware Humane Society and the people who helped train Champ and his brother, Major, who is still with the president and the first lady. And so we send our condolences uh, yes. to the Biden family. And uh, it was great to to see the outpouring of support that people were making in terms of social media chatter, but more importantly, to contributions to dog rescue organizations mm. around the world in honor of Champ. So, oh, nice. So, a worthy, a worthy uh, cause, worthy place to put your money. Yeah. Well, that's all we have for you today. Thanks for bringing Dog Edition along with you on your walk. Next week, we get Techie with a story about robot guide dogs for the blind. And we learn the story behind dog mode in Tesla's line of electric cars. Until then, though, head along to dogedition.com where you can leave us a voicemail and share your stories with us. Just click on the button you'll find at the bottom right of every episode page. Check the show notes for links and information about the guests on this and our other episodes. Also, we are still looking for correspondence here at Dog Podcast Network as we grow this podcast and if you're a content producer, a journalist, a podcaster, an audio storyteller who loves dogs, check out our 101 Dog Stories contest with over $15,000 in prize money. Be sure to follow Dog Edition in your favorite podcast app, and it would be great if you could leave a review and tell a friend about the show. I'm Pamela Lawrence, and I'll see you at the dog park. And I'm Caroline Winter, your resident newshound and chook. <laughs> and a good chook you are. And I'm James Jacobson. <laughs> Thanks for listening today, and on behalf of all of us here at Dog Podcast Network, we wish you and your dog a very warm aloha. Is artificial intelligence going to change veterinary medicine? Well, it already has. Right now, on Dog Cancer Answers, we're speaking with Dr. Kelly Deal of Morris Animal Foundation about how AI is impacting veterinary research and the practice of medicine itself. That's on Dog Cancer Answers. Get it wherever you get your podcasts or at dogcancer.com slash podcast. <laughs>